0: What would you do if you had to design an artificial human being? Would you think it exciting and something that might make life easier or a risky venture that might open a can of worms? The pros and cons of so-called artificial intelligence, or AI, have been at the heart of the recent Channel 4 smash hit, Humans. And the story starts as some of the robots, or synths, seem to have more about them than the rest
1: Our companies have funded your operation for years. Unlimited resources, total access, all because you claim there are a handful of synthetics who can think and feel. Now you've finally found one. I think we've earned the right to study
0: it. Robert, these machines are conscious. How do you know they don't just simulate
1: it? I don't know, you don't. I knew. David Elster, assimilation would be of no interest. His goal was to create machine life, as he called it. Oh, so they're alive now? No, a parody of it, which is why they are so dangerous. Oh, come on. They're just freaks.
0: I'm Mark Dowd, and on this edition of Things Unseen, we're putting the ethical questions about AI under the microscope. It's a fast-moving world. Who would have thought that even five years ago we would be close to devising robot sales assistants called chatbots, or cars that can drive themselves. But where is all this taking us? To a brave new world of robotic assistance, or to the unleashing of a 21st century Frankenstein? Today, to help us examine these very big philosophical questions, we're going to plan the construction of our very own artificial person, or synth, who we're going to call Alex. And grappling with all this are the writers of the Channel 4 hit Humans, Sam Vincent and Jonathan Brackley, from Goldsmiths University of London, Kate Devlin, a researcher into robots and sexuality, and Beth Singler from the Faraday Institute for Science and Religion at Cambridge University, who's exploring the social and religious implications of advances in artificial intelligence, or AI. Beth, very briefly, exciting new horizons or potentially disaster?
2: I think what I'm particularly interested in is the human reaction to these suggestions of what might happen and the immediate
3: future of social issues as well. So what
0: it tells us about ourselves? Yes, human identity. Interesting.
3: I think it's a really exciting time, um, but it's also a time where we need to be cautious because we have some very powerful technology being developed, but we have to think about the implications of that. Jonathan?
4: I'm an optimist. I don't think the robots are going to rise up and kill us. I think it's going to be a massively helpful tool to move forward.
1: And Sam? As with the vast majority of technological advances over the last 200 years, the benefits will greatly outweigh the risks. Okay, so that's an interesting,
0: broad perspective. Let's look at the power to make this new artificial being, Alex, as we're calling it, capable of feeling and also self-aware. So two questions to kick off with. Will we really be able to do this?
1: And is it desirable, Sam? Is it desirable? That's a really interesting question. I've been thinking about this one a lot, why we would do such a thing. It would certainly, as Beth says, kind of give us an extraordinary resource with which to explore the question of who we are and how we arise and how our consciousness arises and what it means and what it is. It would certainly be desirable in that way. For other applications, it's a much more difficult question. Beth, I mean,
0: Um. we've already got 6 billion human beings on the planet, we don't seem to be suffering a problem with uh, spare capacity. Mm. Why would we want to add more units, whether we call Mm. them human or not?
2: I think because artificial intelligence and understanding intelligence itself is really, really difficult. and We like trying to figure out really difficult things. We climb mountains that are too high for us and eventually people are leaping and bounding up them. This is what humans do. So I think it's something that we see as very Unknown and problematic, and therefore we're charging right into it, perhaps faster than we should be.
0: Right, so you're advising caution, we'll come back to that a bit later. Kate, what's your view?
3: Throughout time, humans are always trying to automate things and process things and just really reduce the amount of labor that we do. And computers are really, really good at repetitive tasks and domain specific tasks, and things like factory robots or something like AlphaGo, where it's very good at a particular thing. But what they lack is reasoning and common sense that we have sort of intrinsically as humans. And so if we want to make machines that can help us, that can aid us in labour, then we need a machine that is more capable of reasoning. And one of the ways to pursue that is to go down the route of a human-like AI.
0: And Jonathan?
4: Yeah, I think that's really interesting. It's the sort of division between just pure artificial intelligence and actually granting that artificial intelligence a sentience. And I think if you want to use an artificial intelligence to make valuable decisions for you, then I think you probably need to grant it some sort of self-awareness so that any decision it makes would potentially impact on itself so that it's not just trying to you know, serve the greatest number of people in the best possible way.
0: Is that going to be possible, do you think? Most people have an idea of robots as machines carrying out certain functions, but a, a being which is capable of feeling, experiencing pleasure and pain, but also is aware of self, is, is self-conscious, knows that it's being looked at, develops uh, human emotions. Are we really seriously looking at that as a possibility in the the future?
4: Well, as far as I know, we're nowhere near. The problem of consciousness is we don't really know anything about it. We don't know where it lies or or how it comes into being. We kind of have vague ideas about sort of levels of consciousness. There are differing levels, you know, a dog is conscious but it's not the same consciousness as us and a baby is conscious but it's not the same level of consciousness. So I think there's sort of interesting things to be discussed about what levels of consciousness we can give an artificial intelligence
1: Beth?
2: I have two quick responses to that, that I think two things we need to pay attention to are the way in which we infer consciousness we don't actually literally know whether everyone in the world is conscious but how that decision is ideologically driven or driven by particular political agendas, who gets treated as conscious, who gets treated as having lesser levels of consciousness. As you talk about animals, our history with human rights as a species is not particularly great. How does that map on to a potential future with artificial intelligence?
0: On this theme of uh, consciousness, we're going to hear another clip now from the Channel 4 series which looks at whether a synthetic called Niska would be able to stand trial for murder. And this could only happen if she can demonstrate that she has self-awareness. If she can't prove this, she'll simply be switched off.
2: He was going to rape me. I said no to what he wanted, and he was going to force me to do it anyway. I was scared. And I'm sorry I can't cry or bleed or wring my hands, so you know that. But I'm telling you, I
1: was. You were scared? Yes. My whole
2: life was being scared. Being hurt. Being angry. Sometimes things
3: become too much for anyone. Don't they?
0: So thinking about the synthetic that we're to create, Alex, Kate, how will we know for sure whether we've created a being with consciousness and self-awareness or not?
3: Well, we won't. There's no test for consciousness. That's the problem. Would we actually recognise consciousness if it was there? Because we're only just starting to go down the route of thinking that certain animals are more conscious than we ever thought. It's kind of, if we're aiming for a human-like consciousness, we're just looking for things that remind us of ourselves. But there's no, no reason to say that if we did have some kind of artificial intelligence that it would necessarily be human-like. So would we recognise it? I don't know. It's really difficult and there isn't a test for it yet.
0: There is something called the Turing test, Jonathan, Sam. Is this at all helpful? Help our listeners with uh, a nice, simple description of yeah. the Turing test and how this can be applied. Well,
1: somebody jump in if I bungle it. But uh, the Turing test, named, of course, for the great Alan Turing, is um, it's a simple sort of conversational test with a machine. The whole idea is that if the machine could convince you that you're actually talking to a human on the other side of the computer screen instead of a machine... This would be a, a watershed moment in the development of AI, which it undoubtedly would, however, of course, it only what it really proves is that um, the simulation of consciousness would have advanced to a perfect level, as kate says it doesn 't demonstrate the actual Presence of consciousness because that's not something that's
2: provable. I think what's interesting in Humans the Series is that you have a version of an empathy test in that particular scene with Niska, something else that's brought out in science fiction in Blade Runner films based on Philip K. Dick's book. So, this idea of a test is repeating, but probably not all that useful.
4: That was one of the challenges when we were writing the show. You know, we knew that we wanted to have Niska in this sort of test situation to try and prove her consciousness, but when it came down to it, you know, how do you do it? And we we were lucky enough to talk to um, Christoph Koch, who's one of the sort of leading experts in consciousness, and we asked him, you know, if, if we were going to create a test, what would it be? And he says, well, you can't, there isn't one. Mm. So and you different... a lot of help, actually. Yeah, oh, Thank God. you, course, thank God. Yeah, I mean, it'd just be impossible to know whether it was a consciousness or a simulation of, of consciousness. It'll, it'll, you'll never be able to know in, in the way that I suspect that Sam is Mm -hmm. conscious, but I don't know. Don't be so sure. (laughs) Exactly. You see? The the
3: Turing test is an intelligent test to determine intelligence, as it were. Mm -hmm. Um, Intelligence is something different from consciousness. Mm -hmm. A machine could be intelligent, but not necessarily conscious. Mm -hmm.
0: But in the Turing test, you actually can't see the person, can you? No, you you can't. So what actually happens?
3: So it's a setup where the judges are interacting with a machine, but they don't know. It, It could either be a human on the other side, or it could be a machine on the other side, and they have to determine between the human and machine which one they think is the machine.
0: And do you think there are limitations, obviously, in that, in terms of what conclusions we can draw? Um,
3: absolutely. It was suggested last year that a computer had passed the Turing test but actually the idea was that the, the computer was being presented as, I think, a 13-year-old, 13-year-old Ukrainian, yeah. Ukrainian boy. Yeah. boy. Yeah. So if you're trying to decide between that and a chatbot, if that's what mm. it's being portrayed as, it's not that It's a bit unfair on 13-year-old
1: unfair. Ukrainian boys as well. <laughs> it's yes. um, a chatbot Technology is very advanced. We actually had one in the promotional campaign for humans on Facebook, which would interact with people. So we got to work a bit with this company that are behind them. And they've really evolved a long way beyond the simple sort of form, uh, sort of call and response things, you know, they sort of have branching replies. And you still know, I think, but it's, um can be quite spooky. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of
3: people every day are using chatbots on websites mm-hmm. and don't realise that they are. Mm-hmm. Things like if you're on an online shop or a bank or something like that mm-hmm. and you're talking to a, an assistant for help, it's generally going to be a software agent, but a lot of people mm-hmm. form very natural conversations to the point where they would try and flirt with the chatbot <laughs> and get responses back where the chatbot politely declines because it's been programmed <laughs> to. Well,
0: there are some really interesting ethical and philosophical questions which underpin a fundamental choice with the creation of Alex, our synthetic Is Alex to be, in terms of appearance, purely mechanical and made of hard bits, or to have body tissue, organs and resemble us, or does it not really matter one way or the other, Beth?
2: There's some hesitancy about the idea of robotic forms looking increasingly human. So obviously the synths in humans look incredibly human. They're quite hard to distinguish. As human beings, we have this tendency to anthropomorphization any way that we will infer consciousness on those things that aren't.
0: Oh, this is the, uh, oh, my dog's looking sad. It yes. wants me uh, to take him for a walk because it's yeah. looking all kind of uh, which may well, abandoned. Which
2: may well yeah. be true, but we sort of sometimes take that a step further. My argument on this is that you can have have actual AI that's very disembodied and people still anthropomorphise it. So having this division between sort of human-like robots and not human-like robots as a way of preventing that, I don't think is actually going to work. So um, Boston Dynamics robots, the bipedal and quadrupedal robots being pushed over, they don't look like animals completely, but people reacted as though they were being bullied, they were being hurt. Likewise, AlphaGo is completely disembodied on a server. There's fan art of AlphaGo playing the game of Go as a small
0: Asian girl or a small Asian boy. Even if we had something like a Cyberman from Doctor mm. Who, if it fell over, yeah. some people would say, oh, it's feeling all sad yeah. that it fell over.
2: Cybermen actually already look like they're crying, if you, <laughs> if you look <laughs> They already are quite sad, because they were humans
0: once. Well, let's but. not go through the whole yeah, uh, uh, gallery of the Doctor Who series.
4: Do <laughs> Interestingly, we, we purposely... Used we used an image in the titles of Pumes the second series that was a robot being pushed over. We purposely used that because of the connotations it has around, you know, people feeling sympathy for these things.
0: This is all sounding very much more better at the beginning. We're doing all this because we learn much more about ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's not really about them, it's more about us. That's, um, yeah, that's why our show is called Humans and not Robots.
1: We can only uh, base our intelligence on, uh, an artificial intelligence on our own. right? We don't really have any other concept. It may arise naturally and it may evolve in its own way, but really we are trying to recreate ourselves. It's our own intelligence that we can go from.
3: And in terms of creating ourselves or recreating ourselves, I think that's really interesting because as humans, we're sort of hardwired to determine other humans and human faces. And yet there's a thing called the Uncanny Valley, Mm -hmm. which was suggested by Masahiro Mori in the 70s. And the idea is that the closer an artificial creature gets to looking human, the more creepy and disturbing it is to us until it crosses that final gulf where it's indistinguishable. From an actual human and I think that's really interesting because we know when something's not quite right and we other robots we, we treat them as other so that's fascinating because right now they're not human enough for us.
0: Do we want this creature Alex to be very convincingly human in terms of facial appearance or do we want to set Alex back apart so that we know where the boundaries are?
3: Well, <laughs> I'm going to go to uh, sort of what I find out from my own research, which is on uh, sexual companion robots. And uh, When we've asked people this question, would you want a sex robot that looked like a human, we get really mixed reactions. We get some people who say, yes, absolutely, if it looked human, it would have to have a face and it would have to have hair. And then we get another group of people going, absolutely not. I couldn't do that with something that looked human. Um, it would have to look completely different. So uh, there's really strong reactions from people about how these things should look
0: sex and robots (laughs) Um, (laughs) this is a theme that emerges in the
1: series
4: of course it's something we've explored in the first series and uh, a bit more in, in the second series yeah
1: I'd like to know from Gates' research what they wanted to look like if not mm-hmm. a human. We're still
3: trying to find out that and yeah. trying to do some more research into that. But I got about 300 people at a tech festival to draw pictures of what their ideal sex robot would look like. Wow. And all sorts of things emerged. So there were ones that looked android or gynoid, but there were also other ones that were like, Boxes or spheres or all sorts of things.
0: <laughs> Is this a world in which if it emerges prostitution will disappear?
3: That's a very controversial topic because there's a lot of debate over whether this could be something that follows a sex work narrative or it could be something that exacerbates objectification of humans and so some people see it as being a useful thing because it takes away the need for exploitation in sex work but then other people feel that that removes agency from women as well. So
0: assuming we have created Alex, that we think that because of the way Alex responds, it looks so convincingly like the way we would respond, that we think it has consciousness, self-awareness. Will we call this a very advanced animal, Beth? Or will we say it's a human?
2: I think I go back to what I said earlier about assigning consciousness as a political act, as a species, we have a, a history of encountering humans who behave differently to us that we assume are at an earlier stage of civilization and our responses to them and their treatment historically may well provide some sort of guide to how we shouldn't behave in the future going forward with a theoretical other sentience on the planet. We, we want to be very careful that the way in which we've restricted rights to minorities, to women, doesn't then happen when we theoretically create other intelligences.
0: And Sam, I mean, would you be happy with that this is described as a fully human mm-hmm. creature, or would you still, in terms of the way we describe them, want to put some sort of distance and gap between us?
1: Well, that is the single question that is endlessly examined by our shower. so I can't pretend to have arrived at any one solid conclusion about that. You don't want to spoil the I end think, of series you know, four <laughs> or five. Yeah, exactly, but... Um, in terms of how would I be happy to call him human, I think at the moment we have nothing better to go on than our own standards of assumption, observation and inference. So we'd have to sit down with Alex and talk to him and live with him and make him part of our lives and slowly, slowly build an assumption about that. It's really interesting, I because mean, if you imagine that your dog came in and said hello, I've just become sentient, let's go for a walk. I think that Brexit was a bad idea, let's talk about that some more. You would immediately you would immediately take it as read. You'd find it absolutely extraordinary, of course, but you would, I think, assume that this was not a trick and you would immediately begin engaging. I know it sounds absurd, it's deliberately absurd, but... Um, I think that that is the same standard that you would have to apply to a machine that that gave you the appearance of consciousness, and you would have to talk to it and and learn from it. And I think that is what is happening in the story of humans, is by experience that um, human characters come to see these creatures as human, and I think that's what would happen if Alex was real.
4: In our show, we purposely made the fully conscious synths virtually indistinguishable from humans. But, you know, even though they are essentially human-like the very fact that they are created means that they are going to be different to humans they can't die necessarily they, they are powered by batteries they could have limbs organs replaced and I think that in itself the very fact that it's sort of potentially immortal you have to say it's non-human then it's something else because at the heart
0: of that observation is the central assertion that to be human is to be aware of one's own mortality.
4: Well, I think it would change the outlook of a being totally if it knew that it was immortal in a very sort of corporeal sense in the world.
0: That's very
4: interesting. and It, it
0: begs a huge question, what of synthetics and something called spiritual awareness... Would there be a sense of afterlife if they thought they were immortal? Because in religious narratives, there are all sorts of questions of uh, punishment and judgment and behaving well here so that in the afterlife we get our just or unjust deserts. In your series, we come across a synth called Max. And Max has lost touch with all the other synthetics around him. And in this extract, which we're about to hear, we hear him turning to prayer.
1: Hello.
0: My name is Max.
2: I have two brothers and two sisters. But I think I may have lost them forever. I don't know if you can hear me. Your existence is unproven and seems extremely unlikely. But if you are there, and if you listen to things like me, please help. I don't even have to see them again. Just keep them safe. And in return, I will be available to assist you in any way
1: I can.
3: And I will try to believe in you.
1: Sam, why did you write that scene? Well, we were very interested in how these machines, when they become conscious, would consider these questions. One of the things that we were most fascinated by was how it would affect them to know for a fact that they had been created. Even if you are a person of faith, it's still a belief that you've been created. You know, if you it's objectively provable that you were created by somebody else, how would this then affect you? Do you think that you are one step removed from the ultimate supreme creator because you've been created by another human intelligence? And then the questions that John has said of, do you have a soul? Is there any afterlife possible for these things. So we wanted to explore these spiritual dimensions as much as we could, really. In actual fact, there is another scene whereby a synth comes into contact with a religious figure to interesting and hopefully touching effect. So it's something that we're very much not done with and we have further ideas. It's really, um, it's really complex. We haven't kind of arrived at any straightforward conclusions really about that. We do not see why a conscious machine would not have a spiritual dimension. I don't
0: know where you guys are both on religious faith, but has this extended and expanded your own area of questioning into questions of spirituality, just as as human beings yourselves?
4: It hasn't for me. I have no faith. I still haven't from, you know, writing humans. I'm not um,
0: saying as it made you become a believer, but I'm simply saying as it taken no, it you into makes, areas of inquiry that you otherwise wouldn't have addressed. Absolutely.
4: I mean, it sort of made it made perfect sense to us for the show that a an artificially intelligent being would still sort of seek to find meaning out in the world. Because the interesting thing about robots is currently robots are created for purposes. Every robot has a purpose. But if we created an artificially intelligent, sentient being, then it would be essentially purposeless. It would have to sort of go out and find its own way in the world, which is something that we're exploring in humans as well. And how would an artificially intelligent being go out there and what does it do? What are the first steps to find meaning out in the world? and one of those might be looking to spirituality.
1: One of the other things that we're looking at in humans that is interesting in this regard is the slightly side idea of um, consciousness transference, the idea that it may be possible to upload your consciousness, your mind, into a computer outside of the body. It's an interesting one to ponder if, um, from a religious point of view, would religious people feel that the soul would go with it or not?
4: Yeah, that's a very interesting question. Because presumably, if you are in a computer, you could be copied. And yeah. therefore, is your soul copied, or is it an indefinable
1: mm-hmm. other thing? But if everything you think and feel and know goes into the computer, then how would it be justified that the soul does not? How is the soul connected to the body, that sort of seems... That sounds like seems very difficult
0: fertile ground for Series 5, I think.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll like we'll talk, the numbers keep going on. We'll talk to, <laughs> Yeah, we'll talk to Channel 4 We'll say we want three more Series. Uh, so all this
0: does beg the question, if we want Alex, our synth that we've created, to have some sort of moral or ethical code, who gets to decide that? Where would it come from, Beth?
2: Well, we don't... As a human species, have a collective agreement on appropriate ethics for every single instance. I mean, obviously, there's the big issues that we tend to agree on, like murder and stealing. Some people have suggested we look back to classical science fiction and pick up Asimov's laws of robotics.
0: And what are these laws exactly? Oh, OK, I knew you were going to ask. <laughs> so, the,
2: so the primary law directive for robots in Asimov is to protect humans. The second is to obey humans' commands. And the third is to protect the Robot unit so those are successive in a hierarchy so the key thing
3: is to protect humans at all costs and, and this is the problem that there's always going to be some exception thrown up like yes people think that it's wrong to kill but there may be an occasion sort of self-defense where we have no choice but to do so basically we can't turn morals and ethics into code first because we can't nail them down well enough to decide what should be coded but secondly it's very very hard to take abstract concepts like that and turn it into programmable language machine language
4: and if you could award an artificial intelligent being morals or ethics, then you are taking something away from it as That's well. You are you are taking away its self determination to be its own its own being. Sam, how, how would you go about imparting these these moral codes,
0: or just leave it?
1: Well, we, we I guess we have to divide the question once again between unconscious intelligent machines that would require programming. To limit its behavior, and then conscious intelligence machines, which, if we did put some sort of block on their behavior, gave it in program some sort of moral code, this would be robbing it of free will, this would be impinging on its conscious ability to make free choices. In the show, the unconscious synths have something called Asimov blocks, we rename them blocks, which are very similar to the rules, which they need because they're unconscious machines and people need to know that they are simply incapable of contravening their programming and harming anybody once the sins become conscious these Asimov blocks disappear because then they need to be able to act freely to be completely conscious beings I think that if Alex was a genuinely sentient conscious machine or we decided he was such we would have to allow his own moral code to arise naturally through his experience of living in our society because it's my view that morality and moral codes arise from the fact that we are social beings naturally over time and are not inherent in any way so that's, he'd just have to learn
0: But wouldn't we just Teach them that you know with kids you know sure, if, if you 've right. got plenty of food left mm. over, you share it with people who don 't have very much and would Alex spot all this happening in copy, or would you actually have to impart this in terms of a more formal program?
1: Well, if we decided he was genuinely conscious and sentient like we are and was exactly equivalent in his consciousness to we are, then we would. Treat him as a child. And at the moment, I'm constantly referring back to the show, I know. but uh,
0: That's why we're here.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I guess so, yeah. So I shouldn't feel guilty about it. But in, in the show at the moment, we have a, a newly conscious synth called Hester, who Max, one of our really morally good characters who we've spoken about, he is trying to teach right and wrong to, as you would a child. But because of their extraordinarily weird circumstances, he's finding it quite difficult to. And she's finding it difficult to absorb the lessons.
2: I just want to support that perspective on seeing this development as a form of parenting. And what's interesting in the series is how bad a parent the first conscious since have. David, still, yeah, yeah, he's, he's just. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the, the mother figure had some sort of problems. She wasn't really around, and that, that perhaps we need to think about more constructive ways of planning ahead for that kind of form of parenting we may have to do as an entire human species. I think
3: the question now is not so much how we imbue these ethics into the machines we're creating, but how we actually shape our own development ethically off the research. So we have decisions to make all the time about the machines we're creating, be it autonomous weapons, be it companion robots, be it self-driving cars. We've got to understand how our work and our research is going to shape the way these develop and think about our own ethics in terms of that.
0: For the internet, Everybody talks about the massive advantages of being able to click online and buy washing machines and have them delivered the next day. Nobody saw the horrors of child pornography, bullying on social media and so on. Is that a fair analogy as we are on the brink of this world? It all depends on us in terms of the use that we make of this potential gift or something that might rebound on us.
3: I think with all technology, there's always this period of doubt and fear about what it might bring, the changes it might bring, be it the, the printing press or the Industrial Revolution. There's fears of job loss, there's fears of corrupting society. Overall, look at the very big picture. Is it going to be better for humans in the long run? When we study the human brain and when we study consciousness, it adds a sense of wonder about the world. I think going back to the spirituality aspect, just even examining this and finding out what for us it means to be human, I think that's a really powerful thing. Very interesting, I had a, a newspaper interview and they went with
2: the headline for the article, Would You Baptise a Robot? And the responses we got on social media were very interesting. One very abrupt, no, absolutely not, they don't have souls. But also someone saying, well, as long as it's not full immersion, it'll be fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Might get in there. Unplug uh, it first. Yes, yeah.
1: Yeah, unplug it first. Might get in the electric.
2: <laughs> but one of the suggestions, which I tend to agree with, the religious response saying, well, if they ask that perhaps if there gets a point where they can make a decision to pursue religious life, then perhaps that's something that needs to be looked at. But from the mainstream religious perspective there are committees and councils in the mainstream religious groups considering science and technology and this is definitely on their radar but they haven't made that much in the way of full statements so what
0: you're saying is the synth might see this ritual rather like what's going on at at some point request it for themselves which would be an interest maybe it's better than the turing test might be the baptism test Mm. of consciousness and (laughs) self-awareness you
2: know possibly possibly and that's partly why i like max as a character in humans that he explores this area in particular and starts talking to god
0: listen we're almost out of time but one final question uh, let's posit the idea that you each get access to alex for a day how would you pass your time with him or her sam
1: i'd do my robot overlords bidding um <laughs> whoever it wanted me to kill whatever it wanted me to burn now, um i would i think i would just talk i don't i don't i think i'd be so fascinated to I think I'd, I can just see myself bombarding it with questions. Is it
0: like a research uh, exercise?
1: Yes, talk, but, you know, I'd try and take Alex out and about. The thing I
4: do want to ask is, you know, what do you think of
1: me? What do, you, <laughs> what do you think
4: of us? You know, what's the sort of pure outsider perspective on me and humanity and the world around you? I mean, and and to quote
0: one of your most regular lines, I don't understand the question. Mm. Yeah, would be very disappointing if that was the answer when mm. I asked him that. Yeah. Mm. Kate, what would you do with Alex for a day?
3: I think I want to know what is it like to be an Alex. I would be exploring that. I would be trying to find out what makes Alex tick.
0: Mm-hmm. And Beth?
2: I'd want to know what Alex wanted to do for the day. Let him, her, make the decision to see where that led.
0: And if it wanted to go off clubbing?
2: Fine. I'm a bit old Clement, but maybe, maybe I could throw
0: some shapes. I know. Well, on that point, it's uh, time to draw our very searching discussion to a close, and I hope you listeners have learnt as much as I have from our four panellists, writers Sam Vincent and Jonathan Brackley, goldsmiths Kate Devlin and Beth Singler from Cambridge University. You've been listening to Things Unseen, the programme for those of you who think there's maybe more to life than the merely physical and material. My name's Mark Dowd, and Things Unseen is a CTVC production.
1: And you can hear this programme again and find other editions of Things Unseen at www.thingsunseen.co.uk.